Hello, I am Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. In 2000, Movie Mail voted Blade Runner the fourth best film of all time. In 2000, BBC viewers voted it the second best film ever made. In 2001, Empire Magazine voted it the 16th best film of all time. In 2002, it was voted the 8th best film of all time in Channel 4's 100 Greatest Films poll. The same year, the Online Film Critics Society voted it the second best science fiction film ever. Are you kidding me? I, dude, you got, <laughs> you are up against the tide of history here, my friend. In a 2004 poll among 60 prominent scientists, who knows who they are, The Guardian voted it the best science fiction film ever. No way! It's, it's dealing with questions of our humanity. Oh my god. And it's using very classical themes and tropes uh, to do it. Uh, it it's, it's... <laughs> Which I should love. You should really love a cyberpunk noir story. Uh, this movie should make me so happy because it's science fiction, it grapples with those big societal issues, and it's done by mixing science fiction dystopian future with the noir detective movies I love. I should love this movie. I have never loved this movie. It's never loved Blade Runner. Um, so we just watched Blade Runner again. We watched the... Second or third director's cut? I, I don't know. know. I lose track. This is like the Spielberg problem with Close Encounters, right? That, that whatever came out in the theater is now long gone because they just keep futzing with it. And they have 20th anniversary editions and 30th anniversary editions and the, the Blu-ray cut. And you don't know what is really intended. Remastered 4K director's cut, this time with additional scenes! And you're just like, uh, what? So uh, this is the movie, one of the reasons I think I have reacted poorly to it over the years is because it gives geeks a bad name, right? It is the ultimate fan-fueled uh, cult hit, right? This movie comes out in 1982 at the exact same time that E.T. and John Carpenter's The Thing come out, okay? So if I have to... It's smashed at the box office. It, it's, it dies at the box office, and you know what? Of those three movies... I'm a thing man. All the way. <laughs> well, I love All the thing the too, but you don't got to pit them against each other. But I think that's what started my problems with this movie is in all that great sci-fi, right? We, we have now had Star Wars and Empire at this point. We've had Alien and John Carpenter's The Thing and also, uh, you know, the dystopian Escape from New York. So when Blade Runner comes along, it's like... Oh, man, this feels like taking a college course. Ugh. Well, that's appropriate because I have taken multiple courses that have used this in their curriculum. You know, one of the things that you read on IMDb about this film is that uh, the director, Ridley Scott, who does Alien, you know, wanted to make an entertaining science fiction movie. He did not want to make something that was so ponderous and... Uh, Esoteric. I that's think exactly what this movie is. But movie that's exactly what he made. <laughs> this movie is ponderous. I mean, I, I like it for that reason, but holy moly, Ridley, you missed the stated objective. Yeah, I think he's just trying to cover his tracks. This is exactly what he wanted. It's... So tell me why, or tell me what they say about it in college classes. I mean, they just teach you that it is this great piece of art, that it does meld genres, that it's talking about uh, very classical humanistic themes in a very futuristic way. I don't think 
Uh, I can only, I mean, I'm, I'm immediately segueing into my own thoughts on it because I, I really haven't let college professors tell me much of anything about how to think about stuff. Well, that was money well spent. Uh, but <laughs> I think uh, it holds up really well. Part of it is because it still doesn't feel dated. It doesn't feel like it's stuck in the 1980s. That's I true. Feel like That's true. I got to say, so watching it last night with you for the first time in a long time, I did think that it held up pretty well. I, yeah, mean, no. I have some problems with the pacing of the movie, but it's true. This is why I agreed to do this for a podcast, because... I think if you don't sit down and watch Blade Runner, it is very easy to write it off as, oh, that's just a nerd movie, it's a cult thing, you know, there are a certain subset of movie fans who watch it who tend to be white, straight males, and it's easy to write it off. Except that, watching it now after all these years, I actually did like it better because the world has caught up to what they were showing in 1982. We're right? having conversations the, in our culture now about right now. who gets to be treated as a human. And what does I, AI do to humans, and, and how do we know what is real? Uh, it's amazing how this movie and its questions fits 2017. Yeah, I think fits much better than 1982. Um, you know, it's... And that's a question for all of us, yeah. right? You don't have to be a straight white male who likes science fiction movies, right? Yeah. This is So it's something that uh, the movie AI literally tried to do a few years ago. And I need to watch that to be able to compare it to this. But I'm, I needed to start with watching Blade Runner again because it is uh, considered a classic at this point. You know, you guys have heard me talk about this in the past, but Moby Dick is one of the best examples of the American cultural canon because it's a flop when it comes out. Uh, Melville dies without very much money in his pocket. It is the college professors, you know, decades later, who are assigning this book saying, hey, this is a great novel. And that's why it gets into the canon. It's not because it's popular at the beginning. And it feels like Blade Runner could be making that same kind of trajectory where it's a flop at the box office, it's a cult hit for a couple of decades, and now we're right up against... A sequel. Yeah, no, we are staring down the barrel of uh, Blade Runner 2049, set 30 years after the original film. And uh, bringing back Harrison Ford, bringing in a whole new cast, uh, young people to surround him with. Uh, produced by Ridley Scott, not directed by him, though. It's He's... actually directed by the person who did Arrival. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, which is fascinating to me. Um, but I, th I think... In my opinion, Blade Runner holds up. Blade Runner's still in the canon. I think uh, it's a beautiful marriage of Sid Mead's production design. What do they call him? Visual Futurist is his title in this <laughs> film. That's awesome. Speaking of great titles, I want my job title to be Blade Runner. What the heck does Blade Runner mean? Like, I know it's his job title, but like, who sat around saying, you know, the guys who hunt these, uh, these replicants... They should be called Blade Runners. And everyone's like, yeah, that's badass. Print it. Put it on business cards. Um, I think it holds up really well. I think Harrison does a really great job with very little on the page for him to read. He's got to show a lot of emotion in very slight ways, and he's got to create ambiguity around his own identity in ways that I think a lesser actor would have stumbled with. Um, Rutger Hager does a great job. I disagree completely. Yeah. I think the longer I watch movies and the older I get, the less I like Harrison's acting style. This is Rutger Hauer's movie. It is Rutger Hauer's movie, and I wish we had more of him in it. Um, yeah. That I... rooftop scene, Harrison doesn't even speak. Well, right? yes, because right. him speaking would ruin it. Because <laughs> it's not really his movie. 
Well, it's that, Rutgers movie. That movie, that moment isn't about him. Yeah. Uh, well, he really undersells it. Uh, watching Blade Runner again last night, I'm like, wow, Harrison is not doing enough. I appreciate you thinking he's being I, subtle. I think, wow, this is boring. I think, I think, I think you get the most of his character when he's um, talking with Rachel for the first time in his apartment, where he's yeah, it was boring. No, I think it's very interesting and nuanced, where he's really kind of a dick to her at first because he's just like, well, she's a replicant, she doesn't have feelings, I don't care. And then he actually sees her cry, and he just goes, oh, God, backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. And <laughs> that's really interesting to me. Okay. And I think he's a really nasty character. I, mean, I don't, I didn't ever feel he was nasty. No. From the first like, time I saw him. He's, like, back and Rachel into a corner and well, being really. Well, that's date rape, okay? That's yeah, something else. so that's else. nasty and gross. But he wasn't a nasty cop. And they, they, they want you to think he's, like, the most proficient, baddest-ass Blade Runner, and that's why they call him out of retirement, but I never got that sense. I think there's a little redundancy in the script. Um, I mean, the, the police chief gives him like the same information twice, which is weird. Like, they have a briefing scene where he calls him in, and he's like, I need the old magic, I need that old Blade Runner again. And then he briefs him again. They're sitting there, and they're watching the projector screen. It's like, no, no, that's one scene. You can do that in one scene. Right, so this has, for me, some of the same problems as Close Encounters, where I do like the themes. I do think it's a, an interesting piece of art to watch and consider this stuff, but it just goes on so long. Jeez. I, but I don't feel like it goes on for a long time. I feel like it's, it's pretty well-paced, actually. Mm. I think it builds pretty naturally and very scarily towards that final chase scene of, of you know, Harrison just stumbling and broken and beaten you know, and trying to outrun this superhuman, sadistic force that wants him dead and wants to yeah. do it in a really scary, menacing way. I think some of the, some of the symbolism's a little overwrought. Like, I mean, there's just no reason for Rutger to have a a dove there at the end that he just Ugh, so throws stupid. away. Like, the dove thing is so stupid. That's a little much. That's a little much. <laughs> you know, it's not a perfect film. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's number two or number one greatest sci-fi films yeah, ever. Those, but I do think it's still in the can. Those I rankings think, are ridiculous. I think you've got... I think there's a lot to learn and enjoy about this film. I think I can't really immediately go to uh, another film that expresses these themes in such a... Uh, audience-pleasing way, I think. Um, like, I know hmm. Ex Mahina was a big hit recently. Yeah. But it was a big hit with people I know who have a lot of patience to go into a film and really have a slow-burn character study of AI. Hmm. Because it does not have a lot of action and not a lot of right. fight scenes or even, like, just, like, cityscape stuff. It takes place in, like, one dude's mountain retreat. Right. No, that's, and that's like, true. So, look at just looking at the city. It's looking at Los Angeles in 2019. Which, by the way, still nonfiction until, you know, proven otherwise. I mean, <laughs> I think we'll, we're looking pretty close to Los Angeles in 2019. It's just so cool to see all this stuff. and But it also doesn't feel like, like with the Star Wars prequels, here's stuff just for stuff's sake. All of this is adding to a feel. Yeah, there's, a, there's still a story. A That's true. palpable atmosphere of noir and cyberpunk. And, and you have James Hong. James yeah. Hong making eyeballs. I know. What, what do you want? How can I hate a movie I don't with understand. James <laughs> it has James Hong talking with the Aryan Superman about <laughs> making his eyes. And he comes out the better man in that scene. 
Uh, and they kill him just by taking off his coat. That poor him. man. It's so he's like seventy years old at that point. <laughs> he's, he's like, please, I have another thirty years of acting to do. I need you to not make me die of hypothermia. <laughs> but anyway, I love it, James Hong, and I we, love that they throw him do. in there for, and we for love five Ed, minutes. Edward James Olmos has very few lines to speak, but you know he has the line of the movie. He has the closing punchline of the whole movie so he does a great job and there is there's a lot to like about this it's you know it's amazing what they were able to uh paste together right they had a lot of production problems on this so that's why everything is like dark and rainy and smoky because they're hiding stuff yeah uh but that makes it noir and you're right i should love this more than i do but for some reason i just feel like the pieces don't add together i don't know there are a lot of really boring and stupid tracking shots that don't need to exist like The, the, they were so impressed with these miniature sets that they built that they were just like, yeah. here's another tracking shot of the Tyrell Corporation. I'm like, no, 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 no. Go away. I don't care anymore. I saw it once. Saw I'm that. done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I, 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 I can see it fraying at the edges, but I don't think it's, it's out of the canon yet. I, it still feels like a weird, and this is a positive, it still feels like a fever dream to me. There's so much yeah. in it that... You could... Well, speaking of another piece, see, just when I start to add up the pieces I like, like James Hong, then they throw in a frickin' unicorn dream, and that piece wipes out three or four good pieces. Really? A unicorn dream? dream No, come on, that's stupid. Unicorn dream is important (laughs) to creating ambiguity about who he is and what his identity is. Oh, but it doesn't fit with how they're telling the story. It's just, oh, look, there's a unicorn. Oh. I like, we don't see anybody else's dreams. Maybe if they had shown us Rutger Howard dreaming about a dove, that would make some sense. But we don't see that. It's just thrown in. And I think it's because of... Mm. This production really got away from him. It was a very troubled, uh, way over budget production, and it flops at the box office. And, and a lot of this meaning that has been added to it, I think, is after the fact. I don't know. I I... I am always able to focus on the things of this film that I love, and the stuff that I don't love doesn't pull me out for longer than a few seconds. I mean, like just, unicorns. Like the unicorns does not pull me out for a few <laughs> seconds because of like the origami stuff that's left on his doorstep at the end. And the I origami really do, is cool. I like the origami is cool. Uh, I love like there's a really small detail, but like when he goes to that Chinese noodle place at the very beginning, yeah, and he breaks the chopsticks and starts rubbing them together. It's actually a huge sign of disrespect because what you're saying is, I think your chopsticks are going to give me splinters. So I'm rubbing them together to try and oh, get the splinters pushed away. So he's being a real dick as soon as you huh. see him, if you pick up on that detail. I missed that detail. Um, Boy, which, I'm glad I listened to the podcast. Yeah, but I, I really like that stuff. And it has a huge Atari sign. It has a huge neon Atari sign. And you know what? To briefly touch on the trailers for the sequel, I love that even though Atari as a company no longer exists, there's a bigger brighter Atari sign. In yeah, trailer. we Atari. get Atari back in the future. <laughs> Atari's like, we're releasing a home console in 2049. Like, I like the idea that Atari has killed Sony and killed Nintendo and killed Microsoft and Atari owns Facebook or whatever. It's just like, yeah. we are Atari. You will be subsumed to our will. But Okay, I, so should we get to the whole, is Decker a replicant? Because apparently, I mean, you have very strong feelings about what the sequel does to this movie that you are hyping so the sequel in my mind much like the the prequel they did for the thing it destroys the ambiguity of the end of the this film i mean again watching the director's cut where the ending is ambiguous they don't have that stupid voiceover thing 
Yes. Um, we're I discounting do, that. We're throwing that out. I do like the ending of this version of Blade Runner, the you know the first Blade Runner that we saw, where you don't know what happens to them, and you really aren't sure if Harrison Ford's character is an android. I like that. Yeah. I do like that. And that is the director's cut, because the original theatrical yeah. cut has this big, stupid, dumb voiceover that just... You know what it also has? It actually has footage that they copped from The Shining. Like, they want to show you a happy ending where... She and Harrison Ford, right, Rachel and Harrison Ford, go away and live happily ever after, like in the wilderness of Canada. And so they asked Stanley Kubrick, uh, can we actually borrow a couple of those helicopter shots that you didn't use? They, wow. they were copying things from movies left and right. In fact, this is interesting. Nerd alert! This movie, Blade Runner, is actually one of like six different movie franchises that exist in the same universe. And I picked up on that when I watched it again last night. Some of the screens that you see, if you're paying attention and love aliens like we do, there are screenshots repeated in this movie that you see in Alien. So the movies that exist in the same universe now, because of all the movies that have come out, are Predator... What? Yes, Predator versus Alien. They're in the same universe. Oh, God. So it's Alien, Predator, uh, Blade Runner, and there's actually a mention of the Yutani Corporation in Firefly. <laughs> Oh, God. But, okay, but those are just Easter eggs. Those can't all be in the same... The timeline of that... Same universe. Work. Doesn't work. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> you should love that. Not really, because all is... those are really wildly, jarringly different franchises. Oh, I, I think the alien actually makes a lot of sense with this Okay, version we of... are getting so sidetracked. Anyway, to go back to the question that matters to this conversation, <laughs> is Harrison a replicant or not? And I have always liked... And could the... he defeat the alien? <laughs> or the predator? Always, I've always... Predator would make mincemeat out of Harrison. <laughs> right, because he's not badass. Harrison would take two steps into that jungle and the predator would be like... I am so bored. This is so... Like, he's just gonna, like, take the laser, just like... And Harrison be like, really smarts. That's hit me right in the chest. I don't really like that. Fall down dead. Anyway, I think Deckard is a replicant in the director's cut. I think they make that pretty clear with him dreaming of unicorns. And I've always interpreted the, uh, the character... I'm forgetting the actor's name, but the guy with the cane who makes the origami. That's Edward James Olmos. Sorry, Edward James Olmos. I've always interpreted his character as being another Blade Runner. I have always... He is. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. another Blade Runner. Yeah. And so But he's, not a replicant. Yes, I don't think so. Because he, you know, when Deckard says, I wouldn't come after you, but somebody would. And now they're on the run together. Edward James Olmos is going to come get him. Yeah. And that's, that's what right. he's saying with that unicorn there. But the existence of the sequel negates that possibility because these things are supposed to have four-year lifespans. Even the advanced models are supposed to have four-year lifespans. And this is set... 30 years in the future, and Harrison's still alive, so I guess he's human. Like, the director's like, oh, we're going to introduce well, wait a minute. notes of ambiguity that don't contradict either. No, 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 no. Go to hell. <laughs> You're wrong. Well, wait a minute, because they never specify how long uh, the Rachel character lives, right? Yeah, but it's so, assumed that she probably doesn't uh, have a longer uh, lifespan. They, well, but we never know for sure, right? So the bad... Androids who are coming back, uh, bad, I shouldn't say that. I mean, the, the androids who are coming back to Earth to find their maker and try to live longer, right? Who are the antagonists in this movie, but I wouldn't actually morally call them bad, right? They're, they're on a quest. Well, they did kill James Hong. 
Okay, they're bad. They're awful people. They're, they're awful terrible. People. <laughs> You're terrible people. <laughs> All right. But they're just trying to live longer than four years, which is their programmed lifespan. But, you know, the, the one who was built to remind the creator of his niece, you never hear what generation she is. So she could have been built to last longer, which means that possibility is true for Harrison. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. I don't really care. I, I don't think... Wait a minute, you're recommending Blade Runner and you say you don't care. No, I'm saying that I don't care about this like weird minutiae garbage of, of like... Wow, this is a very confusing podcast. The aliens, like... Because the... here are the... No, you confuse me by bringing up freaking Firefly in the middle of our damn Blade Runner podcast. You're not in the same fictional universe. Not, no, not happening. He's closing his ears now going, la, 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 la. Okay, anyway. The point is, I don't really want to go see the sequel. But I'm going to make you. Because it's got Jared Leto in it, and he's just a freaking creep, man. I don't like him. And mm. I, I mean, I do want to see Dave Batista, yeah. freaking Batista bomb, like, uh, Jer- uh, sorry, Ryan Gosling through a wall. He throws him through a wall. Yeah, that's so, that's so good. I do. <laughs> like, dude, if he just, like, uh, my brother, Truman, who's been on the podcast, you guys know Truman, he was actually playing video games with me uh, a couple nights ago, and I hear in the background, he's playing music, I'm like, what are you listening to? He's like... Batista's theme song from WWE. Like, we love Batista! We love Batista! And so I might go just to support good old Dave Batista's career. God, what a nice guy. This is a very confusing podcast because here I am saying, meh, about the original Blade Runner, but I actually want to see the sequel. Even though I did not like the prequel that they did to John Carpenter's Thing, I like two of the three Thing movies that have been made. I just don't think they're going to uh, This is tackle, very confusing. They're not going to tackle those themes as well as the original did. They're just not going to. What more do you have to say? What more can you possibly say? Unless this one involves replicant social media or something. Which would be a terrible idea. Like, I don't think there's any... I, do I, androids Twitter in the middle of the night? Yeah, like, no. Do androids tweet about electric sheep? No! No, 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 no. Stop! Stop! I don't want this! No, like... Like I don't even think it, it is funny Blade that Runner the, is like a universe that you could set more stories in. Like I don't. This is not Star Wars where I want to see. But they more made stories. a video game in 1997. And I'm telling you, stop! <laughs> I'm telling you, stop! You can follow lots of different Blade Runners. I, I look. I think you can have Blade Runners attack the Predator. No, it's in the canon. <laughs> stop! Shut up! Anyway, it's in the canon. You should love this. This podcast is very confusing. Anyway. Blade Runner's in the canon also because it gives rise to basically a whole subgenre of stuff that I love. I mean, cyberpunk exists before this, but this is Does the it? mainstream penetration of the, cyberpunk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, I, I mean, didn't really think of it as before this. There were like some weird RPG source books that oh. like kind of predate this, but this is really where all the stuff comes together of noir yeah. and yeah, rain yeah. and neon in the 80s and Yeah. Well, that was my joke, was as we watched this last night, I was picking out individual scenes going, I'm pretty sure that was a music video. Yeah, and like, sure enough, it was. One of the sets was literally used in a Genesis video. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, but it, so it gives rise to so much of what we define of cyberpunk. And, I and freaking, the 80s and sci-fi. I freaking love cyberpunk, I, dude. I, I know you do. He's, oh, my God. I got to show you gentlemen. a trailer for a video game coming out after this. Okay. It's so cool. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to really the only member of the millennial generation who loves Billy Idol's cyberpunk Oh, that's album. such a good album! And that album would not exist without Blade Runner. Okay, it's in the canon, because without it, we don't get Billy 
Idols, Cyberpunk. Dude, I freaking love Cyberpunk. At this point, I want to apologize to everybody listening to the podcast for no, what, what no, I have no apologies. There's no apologies. <laughs> I can't put him back in the I box, I discovered that folks. album at like 3 a.m. the night before I was set to graduate from college because I couldn't sleep. So I went to my college radio station and did what I had meant to be doing for four years and just pulled every CD off the shelves that I wanted to burn onto my laptop. I really shouldn't be saying this, but whatever. And I burnt them onto there, and on there was Billy Idol's Cyberpunk. And I was like, I've never heard of this album. And I love Billy Idol. I put yeah. it in, and it is, mm, it is a sonic assault, and it's perfect, and it's made in like 1993, and he distributes it over like DOS and stuff, and I yeah. love that. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about? We're talking about Blade Runner? <laughs> Screw Blade Runner! This is now the Billy Idol Cyberpunk podcast. Okay, I'm shutting this down. Thank you all very much for listening. I can't put them in the box, but I can stop the recording. Come touch me like I'm no. ordinary No, man. stop singing. Look in my eyes. Hey, this has been the podcast. You're on your own. Good luck, everybody. <laughs>